Good morning. Good morning. Having issues. I don't think I went live last time, so I'm trying it now. Said it went live, but it lied. <laughs> well, you know, and I tried getting into the room and it, it at first would not let me in. It wouldn't click. It wouldn't let me highlight it or anything. And then I finally was able to do it. I think I'm going to change that to allow guests to join before me or something. But I, I haven't ended my video from my last show, so I'm confused at what's going on here. Aww. I'm going to get help. But uh, right now, it's all up to me. Well, you know, you could always, do you have to do it live? Could you pre-record it and then? Yeah, I can. Pre it records it automatically for me, so um, I can do it that way, but I just prefer to be live. It's more fun when I can interact well, in a, a real time, I guess. Sure. I'm going to press go live, and then uh, I'm going to pull up my second notes here. You can't see me, right? Um, no, I don't think I can. Well, that, that's good. I would rather just be my voice anyway, so I'm a little shy. I hear you. Because then I can look on, on the papers without being so obvious. <laughs> you know? oh, I always, I have my iPad here and I email myself my notes. Right. And then I just read them off of my iPad and I can make it bigger if I need, which is nice. Okay, are we on here? Not last time it gave me um, problems. It says waiting for live video. Go live now. That's what I want. It's telling me to switch to a supported browser, so I wonder if they switch something to where it's not working on Safari or something. Oh, you know, I received something. Like Zoom did it or something, maybe? Update, yeah, they had an update for 5.0, I think it is. And I don't know if you, did you receive any email about that? Uh, who knows, Suzette? <laughs> I haven't had my nose buried so much in work that I can't even think straight. So um, I'm just trying to get my, this is all new to me, you know? Sure. So it just, um, I mean, before I had no issues of uh, going live on Facebook with this, but, well, here's some emails. Well, it says recording live on Facebook on my, on my side. Is it? Yeah. Good. Then I won't worry about it. I'm going to go back to my Zoom I'll where I can. my phone and see. I can look at my phone and see if you're on <laughs> on Facebook. All I have to do is go on Facebook. Yeah, and um, I do that too, just to see. Oh, I did see where it says that she's live now. 
People like to hear this part though, you know, all the fumblings around. <laughs> the fumbling around is a fun part for sure. <sighs> yep, there I am. Finally, people are probably wondering what the, because I'm an hour late on this end of it, but uh, the first hour is recorded and I'll be posting that later, I guess, since I didn't know what I was doing. But um, we have lined, uh, lined up part two of our show today with Suzette. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing after all of the technology? It kind of kicks our butt, doesn't it? It really does, you know, because you think you have it figured out and then they go through an update like we just experienced or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, it says go live and I push go live and I'm not live. I don't understand, you know? It's okay. I, I do. I fumble too. We all do. It's, it makes it more fun. It does make it more fun, really. Um, it's it. What's nice is you're re it's relaxing because I don't have to worry about, oh, God, I only got a few minutes till a commercial break. Oh, yeah. So, um, but Grace Films, you yeah. have a, a film that you're trying to put out and you're looking for investors. Yeah. And that's Flower in the Sun. I got it right this time. Yes, Flower in the Sun. It's a Western. It takes place in 1900, or actually 1915. Um, I'm the owner of the company that's producing it, Great Films. And, you know, it's our first film. And right now we are in um, the development stage. And that part of the stage that we're in is, like you said, we're, we're uh, looking for private equity investors to come alongside us and help us fund this film. That's awesome. I can't wait to see, you know. Um, I, I, I uh, sat back and I let uh, Acrobat read it to me. Mm -hmm. And I could close my eyes and because I know Virginia City, you know, I could just see every scene and it was so wonderful to, to be able to visualize it like that, you know. It was fun to write it. <laughs> it, it I bet. And you, do you find, like, I know when I'm uh, drawing or doing anything like that that's artistic, writing is an artistry, if you ask me. Um, I think that it evolves itself as you're going along. It does. And, you know, I, I had written the original uh, story, which was actually called um, Slaying the Giant. And then I partnered up with my partner, Jesse. Uh, he, excuse me, he polished the story. I mean, he really did. And it's just a beautiful story at this point um, that I really know will impact a lot of lives once we get it finished in a very positive way. So I'm excited about it. I bet. It's always a, a great feeling when you can help someone. Absolutely. And, you know, what the beautiful part of it is um, we've partnered up with three nonprofits. And, you know, they're right here in Reno and Carson City. Uh, Awaken is a non-trafficking, uh, sex trafficking, uh, you know, nonprofit awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, so we partnered with them. We partnered with the Crisis Pregnancy Center right in Reno. And they help women, of course, when they're at the most vulnerable time, which is, you know, an unwanted or a surprise pregnancy. So they come alongside women who are in that situation. And then it's Another one called Exquisite, and that's a fairly new one. Uh, I'm good friends actually with the uh, woman who started this, this group, Exquisite. 
and that's out of Carson City, and that really comes alongside women who have been in difficult situations, maybe abusive relationships, uh, maybe they've been rescued out, out of trafficking, and it, they really just bolster up these women to just just love on them so they know they have worth. And I love their, their saying is they're diamond strong. Women are diamond strong, and we are. And we should know our worth. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I partnered with them also. And then when I say partnered with them, what we plan on doing is when uh, Flower in the Sun profits, we will take a portion of that profit and we'll split it between the three nonprofits and bless them financially. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, we're, we're, we're going to talk a little more about abuse. And I've seen over the years quite a bit of, of uh, domestic abuse mm-hmm. because of being in nail tech. And I've seen some pretty horrific things happen to women in those situations. Um, one time the guy got so mad he almost drove through our salon window. Oh, wow. Trying to get to her. Mm-hmm. She had little kids. He beat her with... He beat her with keys, but they were on one of those big, long lanyards. Mm-hmm. And her whole chest and everything was completely purple bruised. Oh, that's so sad. It, it is sad. And, and people ask, why do you go back and why do you stay? And, you know, I've been in it. I, would, I grew up in a household where um, there was a lot of anger um, and in the seventies, we didn't really talk about child abuse and those kinds of things. Right. You know, you kept your family business to your family, right, Suzette? Right. Absolutely. And so, um, being put in that situation, I, I nurtured myself. Right. Rock myself when I get really upset or something like that, you know, when it's too much for me. And, um, but it, it, get, it can carry on into adulthood. So that's why it's important to love. My, don't have children if you're not going to love on them. Oh, absolutely. I can't even imagine having a child and not wanting that child. You know, I, I, I've never had children. But, you know, I'm like that with other people's kids. So why wouldn't I do it for myself, you know? Um, I just let them crawl on my lap and love on them and uh, um, spend time with them. Really, that's all children want well, is their parents' attention. Yeah, they need that. I mean, I have, I have a 12-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter, who's going to be 14. And, you know, they, you know my husband and I, we, he said, my ex and my husband have said this so many times, children don't ask to be born. But when they are born, they have, they have needs. You know, they have... Uh, emotional needs, physical needs, I and mean, they're helpless. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the adults in their lives to protect them and give them that nurturing and that love that they, they need to thrive. And so when kids are not given that, or when they're, they're uh, made to feel as an afterthought, or they're made to feel as a burden, or they're, uh, you know, hit or uh, sexually abused or fill in the blank, you know, that, that, that has a lasting impact. And I think when people say to women, well, why don't you leave that situation? It's not a cut and dried situation. It's not as easy as saying, well, just leave. 
And, and you know, admittedly in the past, I think I've been guilty of saying the same thing because you get frustrated. My sister was in abusive in an abusive situation. Well, it's easier to stay in an environment that you're already familiar with than it is to go and live in a big group home or something where people, you know. Right. Well, you know, it's easier to stay because you know what's coming home and how to deal with it. Well, and it's, it's you know, with my sister, it, there's there's something is done to the, the woman that's in that situation emotionally where it just, you, she started to not feel like she loved herself. Uh, she, you know, she didn't feel worthy of being in anything else. You know, and then some women feel like they deserve it, which they do not, of course. Right. And so there's all of these different dynamics that when you throw them all together, it's very complicated. It's not as easy as just leaving. And it even complicates more if there's children involved. Absolutely. Because, you know, and that's when, once you have a child with someone, you guys are bonded for life. Yeah. Regardless if you hate each other or not, if something happens to that child, you both are involved unless the father or the mother is nowhere around at all. But, you know, in most cases, you know. Yeah, I, I no, I, I absolutely 100% agree on this. And it's so tragic for children that are stuck in those, <clears throat> excuse me, those situations, um, especially when there's sexual abuse going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's such a, a traumatic thing and it's such a hidden thing that, that, you know, it's talked about a little bit more than the 70s, obviously. Right. But, but it's still not talked about enough. And so that's why I, you know, I, I'm glad I'm here today that we can discuss, I'm gonna actually gonna discuss this. Um, it's, it is such a serious thing that needs the light to be shown on it so that we can, as adults, do something more. I mean, there's a lot done, but we need to do more because statistics, I, I, oh, I'll be sharing some statistics um, and that they're just shocking to me. And it, I don't think the statistics really tell the whole story, do you? Um, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, I think I think they tell enough of a story. They paint enough of a picture that you get an idea of what you're looking at, and you get an idea of what needs to be done, and you get an idea of, of how we can come alongside these kids and really rescue them out of these situations, obviously, number one, but also what we do afterwards for these kids. You know, there, there's got to be a lot of understanding for these children because it's not something that just because you take them out of the situation, it's all of a sudden hunky-dory and everything's better. No, there's lasting impact mm -hmm. after when the child is sexually abused. It's, I mean, here, I'll read some of the things that I, that I found. Um, what, this is the... Yeah, we want to warn folks that um, some of this content might be a little sensitive for children, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me, my, my, uh, I'm gonna I know the feeling. Allergies have arrived. I absolutely, I have water next to me. Also. I keep having a tickle. Yeah, so if there's any children at all within hearing range of this, they probably should be uh, sent to go play outside or something because some of the stuff we're going to talk about is, you know, even hard for me to talk about, you know. Right. <laughs> information. So I looked, you know, I looked at some statistics because I, I think that numbers do definitely paint a picture, like I said. Um, and I looked at 
a website called the American Society for the Positive Care of Children, or SPCC. And one of the things they said, of course, is they defined what child sexual abuse is. And they say sexual child abuse is a type of maltreatment, violation, and exploitation that refers to the involvement of a child in sexual activity to provide sexual gratification or financial benefit to the perpetrator. It includes uh, contacts for sexual purposes, molestation, statutory rape, prostitution, pornography, exposure, incest, or other sexually exploitive activities. And, you know, the one thing that, and this is so true, the children living through abuse and violence unnecessarily suffer the ill effects of this trauma for the rest of their lives. So when we talk about women that are in abusive situations, if you look at the statistics, and I don't have them in front of me, but I have seen them, oftentimes women that are in those situations were abused in some way as a child. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's, it's sometimes all they know and all they, you know, and that's where the worth of a woman comes in. If they're taught as a child that you're not worth enough um, except for hitting or being sexually molested or whatever, then they grow up into a woman or, or even a, a man. I mean, it's not just women. And they think, well, then I'm not just, you know, I, I, this is all I'm good for. And, but oftentimes it's, it's women, the higher percentage is women, of course. But I mean, that's, that's, that's terrible. You know, every time I see something like that, it's just something inside me. I just get so angry because, it's, you know, I want to do more to help kids. Right. And like right after we got off our uh, show last time, mm -hmm. I saw that sickening article or, or blur go across Facebook where somebody decided to uh, tape it live on Facebook. Mm -hmm the abuse of sexual abuse and that was just disgusting well i sure hope they they caught those people yeah, i think it was in wisconsin or michigan somewhere around in there that that happened and it was just sickening absolutely well you know i mean the things that some of these kids go through that are hidden is just i you know i can go through some examples if you want me to of um i went to another website called rain that's the word rain with an extra m so it's r-a-i-n-n dot org and they describe different types of sexual abuse um exhibitionism or exposing oneself to minors and i remember that happening a lot when in the 70s you would hear oh this person did that i mean i, I do remember stories hearing Oh, this man exposed himself in a car to a child, or this right. Guy. Remember those stories? Well, that's the stripper, right? <laughs> right, and you know I, we've all had we've I've had that happen. Right, I was up at Lake Tahoe, and a and a gentleman decided to um, disrobe mm -hmm. and then put lotion on everywhere, and I just couldn't get away fast enough. I even asked another gentleman to walk us out. Because, you know, when you get up there and you're on the rocks and stuff, there's all these places. I didn't know who he had with him. Right. You know, all those places. So I found someone to walk us out. Well, that's good. Yeah, because you just don't know what somebody like that's going to do. And oftentimes, you know, someone like that is, obviously there's mental illness going on in that situation, too, with the, with the perpetrators. Yeah. But, you know, other, other types of sexual abuse, of course, are fondling or touching of the genitals. Um, masturbation in the presence of a minor or forcing them to do that the same 
obscene phone calls, text messages, or digital interaction. So this computer is a technology can be great, but it can be horrible too when it comes to children. Yeah. You've got to really protect your kids. Um, producing, owning, or sharing pornographic images or movies of children is a type. Of course, sex with a minor, um, all types of sex. I'm not going to go through the different. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, and there's many other, I'm sure there's other ways, but these right. are generally the most obvious um, types of sexual abuse. But this, this statistic um, that I found, and I knew, it was, I knew it was up there, but I was shocked, okay? But according to rain.org, every nine minutes in the United States, CPS, or Child Protective Service workers, find evidence of sexual abuse of a minor. I mean, that, that every nine minutes. So, so we've been on for um, over 18 minutes. So already there has been two cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's just astounding to me. Um, so anyway, of, of all the victims under 18, two out of three are between the ages of 12 and 17. And they make up about 66% about of the children that are uh, victimized. And 34% are under the age of 12. Um, I've seen different statistics on this, but I'm gonna share this one anyways. Uh, one in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. Now I've seen actually lower uh, numbers for girls. I've seen uh, uh, one out of five. So I don't know how accurate the one out of nine or one out of 53, but still, that's still shocking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Generally, if you talk to anyone or anyone in your circle, I guarantee you, you'll find at least one or two people that have experienced that or know somebody that has experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this doesn't surprise me though. 93% of perpetrators are known to the victims. So that means, you know, family member, coach, uh, fill in whoever, you know, uh, kid up the street. Teachers. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we had a couple problems with that, I think, last year or year before here in Reno. Well, and, and you know. And it's both sexes. It's not just one yeah. sex. Males and females are, right. you know, That's perpetrators. The thing that gets me about that, and if you remember Mary Kay Letourneau, I think her name was, she had a 12-year-old student that she had sex with and actually had children with. There is a, you know, if, if, if that were a male teacher, he would be in prison for the rest of his life, I'm sure, or for a very long time. But because it was a female teacher, she did go to prison, but it wasn't for very long. It really wasn't. It, and, and she ended up getting back together with them and having another child with them and getting back together with them. And I think, as far as I know, they're still together. But he was 12. That is, that is predatory behavior. 12. And she was you know, you look at a 12-year-old and you're thinking, how? Well, I have I a 12-year-old. <laughs> I know, but you're just, I, I, I look at a 12-year-old and go, no way. You know, they're just... Yeah. I, I just, and, and the thing is, you know, that's where we have to protect our sons. I mean, I talk to my son about things. I don't know if I really ever talked to him in depth about this, you know, teacher relationship and cross, but he knows about crossing the line. I mean, right, right. 
And I think for boys, it would be even more confusing because, you know, boys are visual and boys uh, are more sexual usually uh, than girls. And so I think it would be very confusing because at that age, 12, 13, they're starting to go through puberty. So it would be extremely confusing for a young man to go through that mm -hmm. and very damaging, in my opinion, you know, um, for his emotional health later on and for his sexuality later on. Mm -hmm. I and agree. Anyway, so um, I found a few more. I'll just uh, share a few more with you here. Let's see. Uh, 50, okay, so we'll go back to 93% of perpetrators are known to the victim. That means, let's see, 59% are acquaintances, so that the victim knows them. 34% are family members. So brother, father, mother, you know, uncle, and and with only 7% being strangers. So the victims know and, and usually trust who does this to them. Mm -hmm. That just, that that is another statistic that just, and I knew that to be true, but reading it in black and white, it just really hit me. So, wow. What are some of the emotions abused victims may feel? Well, you know, I can understand why things are hidden. Um, I can understand why for many reasons, but I can understand why things are not talked about um, for many reasons. Oftentimes because the children are young. I mean, they can't put it into their own words. Mm -hmm. so you're getting, let's say, let's say it's a six-year-old child. A six-year-old child doesn't have the articulation to be able to explain what's been done to them. And also, sometimes they make up stories because it's how they cope. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's how they cope. <laughs> so, but I, I uh, again, I went to another website, and I don't know if you know who Casa. Have you ever heard of Casa? Yes. I, I actually had trained to be a Casa. I never went forward with it in Nevada, but I had trained at one point. And this is, I found this website from Los Angeles, and it's the Los Angeles Casa Center. And they said, survivors of sexual crimes are burdened with a deep sense of shame. The thought of revealing what they have endured in explicit detail can be overwhelming. It means they must relive the experience. It means that they must remember things they do not want to remember and tell things they do not want to tell, especially if it's somebody that they know. Think about it. If it's a parent or a, a beloved uncle or you know anybody like that or a, a coach that everybody loves and admires. And so many survivors are extremely hesitant to give a voice to their violations, the pain, the degradation, and the feeling of sheer helplessness that they had at the time that they were violated, or if they if it was multiple times. Mm -hmm. And actually, I have, you know, we're going to be talking about this in a little bit, but um, I had an experience of um, being sexually molested when I was a child, but I'm not going to go into that right yet. But I am going to say that later on in my 30s, um, I, I was living in North Carolina, and there was an elder of the church that had had, he had a, oh, some operation done. I think he had a brain tumor or something. So I had set it up with his wife. She was going to be home. I was going to go over and visit him and just, you know, read maybe to him or whatever. And he was mobile. He was, he was actually doing quite well. But he was probably mm, 70s, you know, older gentleman. Mm. Well, his wife wasn't home. Like she said, she was going to be, but I said, well, you know, I'm still going to stay for about a half an hour. Well, let me tell you, 
he had some things that he wanted to talk about and do that, of course, I had no interest in. And I remember sitting next to him and he was showing me pictures of his, he had a horse farm at one time. He was showing me different pictures of different horses. And I, and he put his hand up my shirt and touched my bare back. And I remember because I had been molested at nine, I became that nine-year-old all over again. And I'll never forget that. I didn't, I mean, I'm, here I am 33 or four, I can't remember what age I was. And I felt like I was that nine-year-old victim again. I froze, I didn't know, I did not know what to do. And I hadn't thought about that in years. Mm-hmm. So, so when I read that, um, the, fear, fearing of, the feeling of sheer helpless, helplessness, I understand that because I felt that at that moment, it came mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. So it, stay, it sticks with the person, even if you've gone through forgiveness, <clears throat> excuse me, forgiveness, or even if you've come to terms with it and moved past it, it's still there. It's a very deep wound. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it today. I think it's important. Well, and I think some things um, change you forever. This would be one of those things. Um, And doesn't matter how much therapy you go through. It doesn't matter what you do because that's the body's protection. Absolutely. But I'll tell you. You can overcome it. I'm not saying that. But, you know, uh, sometimes things blindside us, Suzette. Oh, sure. And you know, this is the thing I I like to say. Yes, I had an incident happen to me when I was nine, but it doesn't define who Suzette is. It's a part of my experience growing up. It's a a part I wish wouldn't have happened, but it doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define me. I, I you know, I define me, but also God defines me. Right. He really does, because I uh, made God a big part of my life. And uh, I know that that's helped me to get past any of the the hurts or the uh, difficulties in life, because we all have them. We all have difficulties. And God has definitely moved me past those, and I'm so grateful for him. But let let me just continue really quick talking about uh, some of these feelings, these emotions these kids um, might feel. Um, So shame, I talked about shame already. I think. Did I talk about shame? Yeah, we just, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, helplessness. Yep, helplessness. Um, self-blame. It's my fault. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have worn that. Whatever, fill in the blank, self-blame. Simply, they might blame Or me. even the perpetrator might say, yes. you shouldn't have wore that top. That's why this happened. Yes. So they think it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Here. Oftentimes, the perpetrator will threaten the, the victim. If I'll kill your kid. family. Yeah, you can't say anything. Don't tell anybody else. You're going to jail. Right. And so another one is protection. They want to protect the perpetrator. It's a parent. Or if it's, again, a teacher that everybody loves, they want to protect that, that person. And, and I know that sounds the opposite, but it's a child. you got to remember, that's how ch- ch- children are very innocent. I mean, that's how they roll. They, mm. they protect those that they love and, and trust and think that are there for them. And they don't know about sex enough to understand. You know, they know that what happened was wrong, but they don't know enough to really understand, whoa, that person should not have done that. And, and you know, the anger that would come with an adult. And then the emotions that they uh, attach to that experience makes it hard when they do want to have a family and move on, too, oh. I would imagine. 
It can, it can, absolutely. Um, I know this, this one I thought was interesting, admiration. I came across, you know, I, mm-hmm. I found all these, like I said, on the CASA website, admiration, and I'm going to read this. If the abuser is a respected member of, member of the community or an admired friend of the family, the chances of survivors speaking out are significantly reduced. I guess I never really thought of it as admiration. I thought of it as, I guess I looked at that as more of a fear. I, I, if I expose this person, then how are people going to look at me, you know, or what are they going to think about me? You, you know what I'm saying? And then mm-hmm. a child, because, you know, children don't like to rock the boat negative, negatively most of the time. Right. Most kids don't. So um, disillusionment, you know, a crime like sexual abuse forever changes a child's life. The belief that the world is a safe place is all of a sudden shattered. Shock often stuns them into silence, and children grapple with the aftermath of sexual abuse, um, and they're often in coping mode when they're grappling with it. They're often just trying to cope, mm-hmm. trying to survive, and trying to understand what happened, you know, to them. Um, I, and I want to add this other type of sexual abuse that, you know, even today, I, I still hear these things being said, okay? It's committed from child to child. And when I say child, remember, a child is from the age of zero to 18. That's a child, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I could be talking about a 16-year-old or even an 8-year-old that, that might molest another child. And, and you still today might hear adults say, well, kids will be kids, or boys will be boys, or maybe, maybe even their kids. It's normal for kids to, to explore sexually. And, you know, those may not be all terrible statements, but think about what what it makes the victim feel like. It minimizes and ignores the pain that that victim feels. And it leaves that child to work out their pain all on their own because they're not going to go back to somebody that says, well, you know, boys will be boys. That child's not going to go back to somebody that says that to them because mm-hmm. it made them feel really small. Mm-hmm. And it made them feel like what they're what they're feeling isn't important, you know? And so it's just, we, we, we gotta be careful as a society to not poo-poo what kids say. Um, if a kid says, you know, you know, little George up the street touched my private area. Well, explore that. Yes, kids do do that, but explore that and talk to little George's mom and sit down and, you know, or father and, you know, discuss it. Don't just, brush it under the rug because it's uncomfortable. Right. It's most uncomfortable for it's uncomfortable for the child it happened to. You know? So um and then I, you know, I looked at a couple of stats that um support that when I'm talking about child on child. And it says age twelve to fourteen are the peak ages for an adolescent to engage in harmful sexual behavior, which makes sense because they're going through puberty. Mm-hmm. You know? And they don't understand their own bodies. And some kids don't have the most stable home and they see things and they hear things and they watch things and they're exposed to things that are very sexualized. And of course, they're going to want to act that out because they're going to puberty. Because, <laughs> you know, kids are, like I said, kids are kids, like we were just talking right. about. But that, again, we don't want to minimize that if it happens, if, if one child touches another child in an inappropriate way. And another uh, stat is as many as 40% of children who are sexually abused 
are victimized by older or more powerful children, which would make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if the, the older child or the more power, powerful child has done it before. I, I'm sure they kind of know it's not right. You know, right. There's something in the back of their mind that tells them, hmm, this, I probably shouldn't do this. But oftentimes, and I didn't write this stat in the notes I gave you, but oftentimes a child who victimizes another child sexually has had it happen to them too. Mm-hmm. So Pass it along um, because they think it's right. Yeah. Even when they don't think it's right. Right, but they know it's not because they know it, how it's made them feel. Mm -hmm. And but but they don't know what else to do. Again, it's the abuse. They don't know what else to do because that's all they know. Well, and it can even um, it can even escalate into you know like let's say um, you went on a visit to a family's house and you were touched inappropriately, and then let's say you did tell your parents or your mother about it, mm -hmm. and then the next time you went to that place, you had to sit on the couch while everybody else went and played because mm -hmm. of what you said last time you were there. So it was like you were getting punished right. for speaking up. You know, everybody else got to go off and do whatever, but you were left on the couch because, you know. Well, it's like being victimized all over again. Right. It really is. You know, and that's, that's what makes it so, it's such a difficult subject. It's such a complicated subject. Mm -hmm. um, but that shouldn't stop us from trying to change it. <laughs> right, right. Um, because, you know, we see this in society today. One person speaks up and then another one comes forward. And another one comes forward. Um, the Epstein thing comes to mind. Yeah. There's still women coming forward. And, uh, you know, that in, in what we were talking about, powerful men and women that, you know, that can uh, operate all this stuff the, any way they want to because people can be bought, right. you know? Well, look at that doctor in Michigan. I can't remember his name, uh, but there, that uh, physical therapist or doctor for mm -hmm. the girls that were in gymnastics, how many victims came forward? So many. And, and, and if you listen to, I listened to a little bit of the testimony, you know, they, they would go to see the doctor and, and the mother was standing in the room with them sometimes and what he was doing was not appropriate. But they just thought it was, that's how, it, you know, how they were supposed to be treated by the doctor. And so, but they knew it was wrong, you know, so it, all these victims came forward. It, it just was astounding and he's in prison for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. he knew what he was doing, and he knew what he was doing was wrong, you know? Suzette, I know you're really passionate about our topic today, and uh, I want to ask you if you'd be willing to share with our folks about you, what you went through. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I think, I think it's important um, to share what happened to me because, you know, not a lot of people come out and talk about these things. Um, and I think that shedding light on the subject is important for the child who is suffering with it right now and who's being victimized and being uh, abused and nobody knows. So maybe, maybe, or maybe there's an adult who's listening right now that 
had never told their story. And they need to because it's really something that's just been on their, you know, really impacted their life in not the best way. And so I think it's important to talk about these things. And yes, it is hard. It is hard to talk about. But and, and I think by talking about it, it allows that release that you can um, move forward a little bit in your life if you do speak up. Absolutely. There's no shame in speaking up. Well, you know, and it also gives a voice to the voiceless. I mean, like I said, it, it's, there are so many kids this happens to. Um, obviously, the situations are different, but it's, there's so many. And so what happened up to me, basically, and I'm going to actually tie in becoming a Christian, and I'll tell you why, because I think this is important to talk about um, when I became a Christian first, um, because it really ties into this story, and it really is what really saved me, I think, from just being uh, destroyed by what happened, because, you know, it's not, it's not an easy situation. So what in a... It was in 1979, I had gone to this healing service in upstate New York with my mom and one of her friends. And there was a, a preacher there. And so he was, you know, touching, you know, praying over people, healing people, people were praying. And he gave a, an altar call, basically. And I remember I was nine at the time. And I remember it was St. Patrick's Day, 1979, in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York. I still remember to this day because that's how impactful it was to me. Um, becoming a Christian and he had given an altar call and I remember I was a tough little pussy I did not I did I hardly ever cried and I was a tomboy climbing trees and you know roughing it up with my brother and just I was a tomboy and I just remember seeing all these people and just having this overwhelming sense of just peace and awe and I didn't know what it was I couldn't put my finger on as a little nine-year-old what that was but it obviously was the Holy Spirit and I started crying, and I said, that's what I want. So I accepted Christ that day. And it was good, because I was in March, and the sexual abuse happened in the summer of the same year. So, and I'm going to start talking about that now. So basically, um, I have, at that time, I was nine, I had a brother who was 13, and he had, you know, of course, older friends, you know, 13, 14-year-olds. And he had this particular friend, uh, this 14-year-old friend, and I remember this one summer day, my parents, uh, they used to go for rides out in the country because <laughs> my mom actually, my mom couldn't really walk very well because she was sick with my mom. So he would, they would get in the car and my dad would drive her around just to get her out of the house. Yeah. And so they went and we, we had this one rule in the house. Well, we had a lot of rules, but this one certain rule was when my parents were not home, we could not have kids over. We were not allowed to have anybody over. So my brother was in charge because he was a teenager and the rest of us were younger than him. Well, that day, he, uh, one of his friends came over, one of his 14-year-old friends. And there may have been other kids there. Don't remember, honestly, the uh, nitty-gritty details. But, you know, he was, my, his friend was there. And, you know, I don't honestly remember because actually let me tell you this when when kids are sexually molested oftentimes they only remember bits and pieces of what happened to them and oftentimes if it's something that's not dealt with which is in my case i never went to counseling or anything i would doubt later on in life that it happened 
like I would doubt my story. And it was only not until I actually sat down and talked with my brother and he gave me bits and pieces of the story that I'm like, yes, I do remember that. And one, I'll, I'll tell you one of the details a little bit later, but I, you know, that, that's something that's, that was hard for me because I, I really was thinking, well, gosh, did I make this up? But I knew I didn't because I, you know, you, you just do that because I was so young. Did you second guess yourself, I think. Yes, but I know I didn't for numerous reasons because I talked with my siblings and they actually um, corroborated a lot of the details. So anyway, so somehow I ended up in my brother's room with the 14-year-old boy and I don't know how the heck he talked me into it, but he talked me into stripping down into nothing. So I took all my, my clothes off and he did the same. And I didn't know why he, I remember, I didn't know why he wanted to do that. And it, and I liked this, this boy, he actually had a, you know, we talked in the last, uh, last time we talked, we talked about grooming and I didn't realize this until later on in life, but he had actually groomed me to this, to this point because he had a, a special nickname just for me. And, and I'm not going to say what it is. And to this day, I still don't utter that nickname. I, I know what it is because I remember, but, and, and it just, it just makes me shudder. Just, I can't even say it, but anyways, he had this nickname and he would call me it. And I didn't know that, but anyways, that was the reason why, because I think he was working his way up to get to this point and he had locked my brother's door and I wasn't sure why he did that. And bottom line is he didn't just touch me. He actually, everything happened. So it was, you know, full intercourse basically so he had raped me I was like nine he was 14 and I remember I just didn't know what to do I would I, you know so we're putting our clothes back on my brother is knocking at his own bedroom door because it was my brother's bedroom and he's saying is everything okay in there and I and I remember that was one of the things he corroborated with me because I remember that I had that memory and I never told him that memory he told my brother told me that memory and I was like okay then it you know, and there was other things too. And so I just remember I was, I was angry. I was upset, of course. Um, I was hurt. I was confused. I, I, I was confused at why this boy would do this. Why would he do this? I liked him. Mm -hmm. I liked this, this uh, friend of my brother's. Why would he do this? I knew it was wrong. So that night I was, I remember I was afraid. I was very afraid to be in my own bed by myself. And so I climbed in bed with my 12 year old sister and I, she knew something was up because I was not the type of kid to be a scaredy cat like, or to be frightened or to be, I was just not like that. I was a tough, like I said, a tough little sissy. And she asked me what was, what was wrong. And so I told her the best way I could tell her in nine year old language. And she knew though, at 12, she knew what I was talking about. And so she said, she strongly encouraged me to go to my parents the next morning. And I said, I'm not going to do it unless you go with me. And my sister, Michelle, was always like my bigger, she was my bigger sister, but she was like my mom, my second mom, kind of, when I was a kid. She always took care of me. And so the next day, uh, I went, you know, with my sister. My dad was out in the garden. He had this huge garden. Everybody loved his garden. <laughs> you know, it was mm -hmm. in the city. Huge garden. But anyway, so he was tending it, doing the weeds. And my mom was sitting in a lawn chair. I, for some reason, I don't know why I remember that, but she was. And so I told my dad what had happened. 
And, you know, I'm thinking, well, dad's going to be angry and he's going to demand to go down to the parents and talk with them. And I'm thinking all these things that my dad's going to come alongside me and protect me. Well, that's not what happened. What happened was, and my dad's not a horrible guy. My dad was a wonderful man, but he, I think it was just too much for him. So he did two things. He blamed me and my brother for having my brother's friend over, or all of us kids were blamed. So we got in trouble for having a child over. And then he said that I was making it up to get attention, basically, that I, that I was lying. And boy, you know, I was thinking about this. The one thing I can explain or describe in this situation that I felt is, do you remember Charlie Brown? Yeah. Do you remember the teacher? The wah, 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 wah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, as soon as my dad told me those two things, blamed me, and then told me I was lying, I heard nothing else but wah, 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 wah. But in my head, I remember to this day, in my nine-year-old head saying, I will never cry again. And I didn't for years until I was like probably in my 20s. And I actually did get some counseling. I, I held a lot of anger towards my dad and even towards my mom because my mom said nothing. She was kind of like the yes dear type of uh, wife to my husband, whatever your father said. And so she just <laughs> didn't stand up or anything. And so, you know, it, it really impacted me greatly. And it just, you know, to this day, I, I, I don't really think about it. Um, the thing that bothered me the most was my, my dad's reaction. That's when I did have counseling, I had actually thought, I, this is a funny story. I went to counseling because I was having anxiety in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I was going because my mom had MS and I was one of the caretakers for her and I, had, I was going full-time to college and I had all these things and a job. And I thought, well, I'm just overstressed. Funny thing is I ended up talking about my dad a lot. <laughs> and then we got down to the fact that I was really angry with him for that incident. And boy, that was the best counseling ever, you know, because I was able to work through that. And then later on, my dad, on his own, this was actually quite sweet. He came to me, he came to all of us kids, actually, and he had said, um, if there was anything that I had done or not done that hurt you, I, I want to talk, talk it through. So I told him about this. And he, you know, I forgave him that day. He asked for forgiveness. And so it was very, just a wonderful talk. Um, my dad's no longer living, but I have absolutely no anger towards him uh, for any of this because he, he would have done it differently, I think, um, had we really talked about it, but we weren't like a really big talking family, so it, right. it, it was more swept under the rug, but yeah. So it was well, a, and I think for a nine-year-old, that would, uh, it would be really hard to put names on the emotions you're feeling right so sometimes until we don't get to be an adult do we know what those feelings were oh yeah well now i understand why i had this incredible urge after that age that i there was this one kid on the block that i would constantly look for to beat up <laughs> and i was a bully honestly i was a bully um but it was only to that one kid and the reason why i was a bully is because he was mean to his younger sister you mm. see the correlation there Mm -hmm. he, knew his younger, he, he did terrible things to his younger sister. So I would look for this kid and I would beat him up. It, it was not right. It wasn't right on my part either, but 
I think that's how I coped with it. Right. Because I, instead of beating up the 14-year-old boy, which I couldn't, <laughs> I beat up the kid that was around my age that was mean to his sister. <laughs> well, what kinds of things should we in instruct children to do? Um, tell, think, tell a trusted adult. Yes. And I, I know that's very, very difficult when you've been hurt, um, especially if an adult has hurt you, like not believing you. Um, but it's so vital for a child if something's happened to them that if they're if they're have, if they're still thinking about it and it's and it's causing them to have these intense emotions, those are things they need to go to their parents with, a trusted teacher, uh, a pastor, you know, e even an older friend. Sometimes older friends help. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I think it's, but but keeping it in is not the answer at all because it will it could very well consume you from the inside out and that's not a, a good place to be you know what warning signs should parents look out for well um obviously the first one is you teach your children safe touches um you know the only person that should ever be touching them in private areas you know genitals chest uh, backside is if their parents in the room with them, the doctor. Mm -hmm. that's, the only do that's the only one that has that permission. And, and then of course the parents should talk to their children first before they go to the doctor. But in any other situation, there's no reason for anybody to touch that child in those private areas. You know, unless, you know, obviously if it's a mother wiping her, her daughter, daughter's four-year-old rear end on the toilet, and that's different. <laughs> or right. I mean, that's different. Or a bath, that's different. I mean, right. If they're in your care, you're supposed to care for them, right? Touches, safe touches. And, you know, that, that's the number one. Uh, the second is pay attention and watch for warning signs. I mean, my dad, he knew I was a tomboy, but all of a sudden I got angry. All of a sudden I was beating up this kid. I got in trouble for it a lot. Mm -hmm. The kid's grandmother would come to our house a lot. <laughs> I would constantly get in trouble. And so things like I, I was acting out. So watch for those warning signs. If all of a sudden you have a, a, a really jovial, sweet child, all of a sudden becoming angry and you know putting holes in the wall or, or ruining things, that, that's a warning sign that you should really see why your child is doing that or why that child's acting out. Or the opposite. If you have a really jovial, social child that all of a sudden is extremely shocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, just totally overnight, you need to look into them. And it, it might not necessarily mean it, the child's been sexually abused, but there's something going on. So we need to be diligent as parents and really look at our kids and know our kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the biggest one is believe your child. And I know that some children do tell tales. <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. My four-year-old, my son, when he was four, I would bring my kids to the li library, and they know about my my sexual abuse. I've never gone into real detail with them, but they know I've always, since a very early age, I've been diligent about telling them about this because they haven't me, or telling them about, you know, what people are allowed and not allowed to do with them. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we are at the library. He's always with me. I never let my kids go to the bathroom by themselves when they were that age. So he was with me the whole time. 
but when he got when we got home, he said to me um, that some somebody had touched him in the bathroom of the library. And of course, you know, my red flag went up because I was concerned. I but I had to believe him at first. So I, I sat down with him. I think my husband did too. I think we both sat down. And we sat down and listened and talked and listened and talked and came to find out that it was tied into something that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, that he had he was he was he really was making up a story. And but I'm glad we looked into it and we believed him at first, even though I knew it couldn't be true because I was with him, you know, but still we needed to look into it. Mm -hmm. Don't dismiss your kids. Mm -hmm. I know these are hard things, but don't dismiss if a child says something. Really, really, really look into it. Yeah. And that's that's the, I think the biggest one, you know. Well, I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see your film come to life. Uh, it'll be Flower in the Sun. And uh, we know that investor, God's already got the plan laid out. And uh, it's already in motion, Suzette, for you. Yeah. And uh, we are blessed to have you as a friend. Well, thank you. And, you know, I have to say, I have to tie it into Flower in the Sun, this whole thing we've talked about. The main character, character Amelia, Mm -hmm. she she has she had been molested as a child and so that that's um, why we're even talking about the film um, because there is an element of that in the story also because um, it happened to me I felt it was important to put it uh, put it in the story yeah it's a great storyline I don't want to tell too much because I don't want to give it away okay. Then maybe someday we can, after it's all said and done and you have it going out there rolling, uh, maybe we'll find it on Red Rock Media Productions one of these days on one of our channels. Oh, that'd be great. Well, I really yeah. appreciate you having me here, Anita, and I appreciate everything that you do. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I was really fouled up on my first hour. We do have some folks joining us now, but um, I don't know what happened, but um, we'll make sure that it's all corrected. And I had Tara and CJ on with me for the first hour. And uh, if you didn't catch that, they had some great information on Nevada legal documents. And CJ had some great information on identity theft. So, and then uh, we're always blessed to have Suzette here with us. So, um, everybody, you are the best part of our week. Suzette, you can come back anytime you want to on our show and uh, converse with us. We just love having you. Well, thank you, sweetie. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to give folks? Um, no, I really, I really don't have anything. We've said a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll let that resonate with folks. And uh, as things come uh, forward for you, we want to stay updated in the loop of uh, how this is coming together for you. And maybe we can have you back on and talk about this some more. All right, sounds great. Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much, everybody out there uh, live with us today. We really appreciate you tuning in with us. And uh, you guys are, the, like I said, the best part of my week. I look forward to coming on and seeing you guys every week. If you have a business or want to just come on here and discuss something with me, let me know. You can email me at redrockmediaproductions at gmail.com. And we'll hook you up and get you on the show. There's no cost to be a guest so uh just hit me up and we'll uh, get you on here with zoom you don't have to video with me like all of our guests today just use their 
voice and uh, we appreciate them. We appreciate all of our sponsors, uh, Creative Handy Works and Design, uh, JJ Reno Realtor, and Dr. Richard, if you need a um, uh, certification for your pet for uh, emotional support. And I hope everybody has a really wonderful day. Stay warm, it's a little cool out there. And uh, stay safe. And we'll be hopefully back running full blast here as Americans, uh, hopefully in the future, maybe in a different way, but uh, we'll be back. Have a great day, Suzanne, Suzette. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>